This is an AMI podcast. I'm Kelly McDonald. I'm Ramia Amadin, and this is Kelly and Ramia. Live from the Accessible Media Studios, this is Kelly and Ramia. Entertainment, lifestyle, and great conversation. It's AMI's on-air community, and everyone's invited. Welcome to Kelly and Ramia. Thank you so much for tuning in. A little bit of a different uh, show this week because we've been rocking with Kelly McDonald and Grant Hardy. And then tomorrow, Brock Richardson is joining Kelly. And then on Monday, uh, as we cruise into this long weekend, uh, you're going to have a no-show day. So uh, thank you so much for tuning in wherever you are listening, AMI-TV, AMI-audio, or the podcast. As you know, Kelly McDonald and I, uh, if you're a regular listener of the show or viewer, you will know that we are both into old-time radio shows. These are Yay. basically the <laughs> basically the precursor <laughs> to, to television shows is how I describe them. you got your comedy, your drama, etc., your soap operas on the radio. So this is my question to you, Kelly. We've just had Valentine's Day. Now we're coming up to a long weekend. Those specialty shows, the Christmas shows, the Valentine's Day, the, you know, Labor Day, do you tend to view those at the appropriate time, like around Christmas, or do you just rock through a series listening to the Christmas show in March? Who cares? Mm, now it's more who cares. Um, before, mm-hmm. I used to always love on a Christmas Eve to pile up a bunch of old radio shows. I think the problem is, in my head, I've heard most of them. And, you know, Grant, I've discovered by doing it the way I'm doing it now as I listen to series, oh, I didn't know they had a Christmas episode in this show. Oh, I didn't know they had a New Year's special. Oh, there's their Easter Ah. one. So some of them aren't the shows. They're just one-off kind of episodes. Something happened, or they do it depending if it's a comedy or whatever, a drama. There may be only one in the collection. So I find that very interesting. And with you asking that, I had to stop and think, hold it. What do I do? And it is more like that, kind of now just random. At Christmas time, you hope to hear more, especially with the, the streams to a point but I don't go out of my way as much as I used to, for sure. Yeah. Oh, that's fair. Yeah, absolutely. When I find a series that I'm really digging, I will just breeze right through it on with the specialty shows as well. But definitely for those special occasions, if you can find family, friends to, to listen with, I'd love to bring back some of those Christmas shows. I love sharing that. It is nice. And those are what people who don't know old radio, they kind of latch onto that even better. If it's something, a specialized show, and they say, oh, that's kind of cute. Exactly. That's what I'm talking about. I love the people who think it's going to be really boring, you know, but then you start listening and they're just chuckling just the same way we are. (laughs) Uh, Uh, Old time radio is great, but we've got our own show to get through today. Here's what's coming up on the program. What are some common kitchen mistakes and how can we correct them? Mary Mammoliti gives us some tips. Well, folks, on Curious Minds today with Christine Malik, we talk about what an aqueduct is and why were they important, which is going to be very interesting for those of us who can't see. I'll say. Plus, on our weekly roundtable, uh, we're going to be joined by our uh, friend of the show, Mark Phoenix. So, Kelly, as it turns out, the process of producing and storing cryptocurrency has actually had some Texas residents making noise complaints. Bitcoin mines are essentially warehouses filled with computers running constantly, cooling them down 
takes huge fans that also run constantly. I'm making these signs to protest this Bitcoin noise. Signs that say Bitcoin sucks. Sherry Shadden lives beside a new Bitcoin farm. <laughs> it rattles your doors, your windows. It is absolutely horrific. The company that owns the facility southwest of Fort Worth says it wasn't aware of the noise problem and promises to work with its new neighbors. Jim Ryan, ABC News, Dallas. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I'm just trying to take the protest seriously that says Bitcoin sucks. But yeah. hey, who who knew? I like to think of myself as a techie person. You know, I know a mm -hmm. little bit about Bitcoin. I know that it's sort of, you know, decentralized. It's distributed between computers. I had no idea it was so noisy. But I feel like you'd really have to be there Kelly, on the ground, like, does this actually come through in your home? I feel like you'd really have to be there in person to experience the noise for yourself. I, I think so, because even the fans, to think about that, we know that you need a lot of fans when it comes to cooling computer stuff, servers, and so on. We get that part of it. But when you hear that the people in the main office, oh... We didn't realize it was so loud. Yeah. Well, you would have realized if computers were pop, pop, popping, and you were, you know, getting new, new servers and stuff like that together. But it's so funny when you hear that because that's where listening to that, I, I realized, holy gosh, probably most people have no idea. I mean, it's hard enough to say how the heck is it like work or this, this, you know, this whole means of money and and stuff like that this way. It's hard enough for people to grasp, let alone. How darn noisy it could be. <laughs> yeah, it is. It is. And, you know, to be fair, for a serious note, I don't know if you've ever had some sort of, like, constant hum just suddenly start up. You can't really figure out where it's coming from. I know yeah. that can actually have serious health effects, like, not only for, uh, you know, animals in the ecosystem, who I think are very much disrupted by our human noise and traffic patterns and whatever else, but also for, for, uh, for you and me. Yeah, well, the t town of Leamington, I think it was Leamington, Ontario, had a strange noise that was going on a few years ago. Nobody knew where it was. I remember growing up in the wintertime, I had to put up with the ski hole built making snow that was in behind my house. Now, most time, that was a wonderful noise, but I thought if somebody has sleeping issues or a high sensitivity to noise, they're done for having to put up with this. Yeah, I would think so. I think so. Well, I certainly appreciate the protest might get a little more sophisticated sign than Bitcoin sucks, but also... They could just raise funds, buy up all the Bitcoins, and then take them out of circulation, and then their problem would be solved. Okay, maybe not. All right, Kelly, let's get uh, on with the <laughs> show here. Always love chatting with Michael Fair. And up next, he's going to be here to tell us about a BBC radio show, which explores the intersection of technology and supernatural strangeness. Stick with us. Don't miss a minute. Kelly and Ramya will be right back. Broadcasting on AMI-TV, 2 to 4 p.m. Eastern every weekday, repeating for uh, broadcasting 4 p.m. Eastern on AMI-audio. Then uh, you can catch us on both AMI-TV and AMI-audio, repeating at 10 p.m. Eastern. Eastern. Welcome back to Kelly and Ramya with Grant and Kelly today. And in addition to calling the feedback line, leaving your thoughts, please feel free to subscribe to our Kelly and Ramya podcast and submit a rating and review as well. We would love it if you would do that. Let's move on here. It's time to talk all things audio entertainment and tech with Michael Fair.
Audio entertainment and accessible technology are increasingly important in our lives. I'm Mike Fair, here to help you make the most out of your devices. We'll share tech tips and product reviews. Plus, I'll steer you towards the best accessible games, audio dramas, and podcasts. We'll talk about it all here on Kelly and Ramya. Well, winter is just a perfect time for audio entertainment, uh, games, of course. But now we're moving on to comedy and audio drama. And this week, Michael, uh, you're here to tell us about a BBC radio show which explores the intersection of technology and supernatural strangeness. First of all, welcome to the show. Thanks. Yeah, it's uh, always a pleasure bringing this stuff here. <laughs> all right. Well, let's just dive right in. Uh, what's the premise of the show? So basically, uh, we have Tom, he's a young tech blogger investigating the latest apps and different devices. And of course, this uh, show, uh, it asks the question, what if there is a ghost in the machine, really? Mm. What if mm. our tech is haunted, demon-possessed, ghost-ridden? Uh, you know, there are werewolves in one of the stories. Like, it's, it, it takes all the... the the supernatural tropes, all the modern tech, and and says what if, right? And merges the two ride sharing apps. It's it's a lot of fun. <laughs> wow, it reminds me of like the whole ex machina thing, you know, Ghost in the Machine, or that Star Trek episode, uh, Star Trek episode with um, Jack the Ripper, the the, the, the alien yes. that actually has that persona of Jack the Ripper. So, how long are these episodes in the package? So basically, uh, there were 13 episodes in totals, and they were basically produced between uh, 2017 and 2022 in four different series. And uh, each episode is around 15 minutes long, give or take. So that adds up to about uh, three hours, two, two and a bit hours. Yeah, three hours, almost exactly. Three hours and a couple minutes. Nice. Well... I feel like I've always considered that my technology is actually haunted, like that there are ghosts <laughs> in the machine. Otherwise, it wouldn't just be doing all kinds of weird stuff all the time. Uh, so, hmm, I don't it's know. It's Regic from Star gonna... Trek. Michael, he's got Regic <laughs> yeah. in there. Regic, yeah, Regic. So... <laughs> Regic. <laughs> I don't know. This, this show might uh, just reinforce or expand that perception even more. Uh, but maybe you can tell us a little <laughs> bit more, uh, let's say, uh, about Tom and his friends. So Tom is a young, eager, pretty hopeful, friendly blogger, uh, not too cynical yet, you know, still just in the, in the thrill of technology and blogging and trying to make a living. Uh, he's getting wrapped up in these adventures. Uh, you know, the investigations lead to unexpectedly supernatural results on him. And he has a couple of friends. Uh, Heidi is a very sensible public relations worker, tends to give Tom a bunch of leads to different articles, you know, app developers and, you know, the people that they try to publicize, right? So there's an actual uh, symbiotic relationship there, and they're pretty good friends. There doesn't seem to be any romance there, but he's, you know, they're, they're uh, you, know, and, uh, you know, going out and eating meals together, things like that. So it's a cozy relationship, seemingly, and, and, he's, and she's willing to go help Tom in various uh, uh, situations. So very resourceful. We also have Dennis, who's a comic book writer. And uh, he is is very smart, tech savvy, uh, you know, probably on a par or even surpassing Tom's knowledge of tech uh, and, and is able to lend some help when it comes to solving some of the mysteries that they encounter. So more often we're spending time with Heidi and Tom, but every once in a while Dennis shows up 
uh, in these adventures <laughs> as well. That's awesome. Okay, so for me, when I hear, you know, the, the kind of science fiction avenue of it, I mean, you can do that just with the computer stuff, but when we get into the supernatural, I start wondering, okay, how, in what way, this sounds kind of, eh, not bad, like, kind of like <laughs> to stick to a bit of the real for me, or even the real close to reality. What kind of sorts of adventures do Tom and these folks find themselves in, Michael? Every story is dealing with a different technology that we take for granted every day. It's part of our everyday lives, and it adds in the supernatural element. So the first episode deals with a dating app. Tom is trying out this new dating app, wanting to write a review on it for his blog, and he goes, he can't finish it, it's so noisy around this house, goes to stay at this millionaire's mansion courtesy of <laughs> Heidi's connections, right, to these developers, right? So there he is in this house, and his date, his smartphone begins talking in his sleep. He's sleeping away, and the smartphone's like 150 meters away. Hundred, and it's this dating app saying that a match is really close by. And this is oh, a private no. property. There shouldn't be anyone out there, right? So what's going on, right? Well, turns out what's going on is a bit of ghostly dating uh, happening here. And I won't wreck the whole story because it's it's quite delightful yeah. <laughs> how things <laughs> turn out. But boy, is it fun. There's another episode about a, a possessed refrigerator, a demon-haunted refrigerator, smart fridge. There's another one about a ride-sharing app with a ghostly uh, kind of serial-killing uh, cabbie kind of thing. Uh, you know, the word game. There's a word game that seems to predict a doom and, and death and pain in the future. And, uh, you know, it, it, it they go to a... A restaurant, Heidi and him go to a restaurant to enjoy a meal, and uh, things keep happening that seem to co correspond to this word game. Uh, so there's all sorts of these things. There's 13 in total. Werewolves meet uh, an exercise bike in one of them. Uh, lots yeah. of fun. Just, just really delightful fun with this stuff. Yeah, it's kind of interesting because it's obviously supernatural but i'm sure it makes you think a little bit about all the technology we take for granted i personally think smart oh, yes. refrigerators some of the most creepy technology out there because unlike your zoom camera whatever you can't just like turn it off or unplug it or throw it across the room it can be always watching <laughs> and listening to you. <laughs> exactly possibly, it knows what you're eating <laughs> <laughs> and it knows what time too can i really say yeah, exactly on on the bus on the way to work if my fridge is like uh you just took a chocolate cake out at this time anyways uh, stop um, trying to deceive the doctor <laughs> yeah. so we've got all these episodes talking about different things do we need to listen to them here episodes in order not really there are first you know few episodes i'd say the first three it would help because they're introducing the, the two friends uh and you get some some backstory i guess a little bit uh not much like it wouldn't kill you to hear them all out of order really they're all self-contained stories, but there is that, that you know, the beginning of the series, of course, they're going to introduce the characters, right? So there's that. But beyond episode three or so, it's wide open. Wouldn't matter which, ep uh, which order you heard them in. So we want to do it as a family. Is it suitable for the younger listeners? Uh, teens and up, I'd say yes. This <laughs> is written for adults, but it's about as clean as comedy gets. There's I can't remember any curse words. There's... You know, very no gratuitous violence or anything like that. Nothing sexually explicit. Like it's a very clean BBC comedy meant for like afternoon radio kind of thing, right? Very so nice. It's yeah, it's about as clean as it gets. 
How is the uh, acting? Yes, the acting is top-notch. Uh, Jenny uh, Biday is, uh, plays Heidi very well, very sensible, uh, top-notch there. Tom Neenan is uh, the leading role, does a great job of playing Tom, the blogger. Uh, and uh, there are guest stars, uh, including Tom Baker and uh, uh, Martin Jarvis. Uh, so famous, you know, be, they, these these audio dramas, they seem to be able to pull in more famous people these days, which is yes. awesome when you hear these voices that, that just, you know, you've heard before in shows on TV and places and movies, and now they're popping up in audio dramas. So always awesome to hear. And no one missed a beat. And like right down to the bit, the tiniest of parts, it it just really everything just spot on in terms of acting. You love that with the um, professionalism of the actors, but also the good head and organization of you know, obviously the scripts, but the directing too. The director does a lot, and I, I it reminds me, Michael, because I think of especially as Grant and I were saying off the top, some of the old radio shows and things like that. But even the stuff from the like seventies. We had so many of the soap opera people in L.A. or New York that would roll in and out of these shows. And I think you get a lot of that here with the connection with the BBC, you know, whether it's a guest star from from somebody from Coronation Street or something like that. So it's really, really or, or EastEnders or something. It's really wonderful. Um, Want to get into sound and music, sir? How was it used? Sure. Yeah, there's not much music. Uh, it's it's there, but very minimal, uh, mm -hmm. just at the beginning and end of episodes mostly. But the sound kind of carries the day. It's never over the top. Uh, there's nothing groundbreaking, really, but it serves. It's competent. Uh, the atmospheres are great. It serves the purpose, uh, keeps you enthralled, you know, uh, and uh, nothing sounds out of place. So, you know, very smooth, competent work with the sound in, in this instance. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I love that. It, it, it's so, I mean, sometimes you just know, and again, I go back to the writing, directing, do you need this? Do you don't need it? You know, and, and I think that that is a really interesting call when you want a lot of that kind of natural sound, um, that real timing kind of thing where you want people to take that walk across the room or, or have those things that tell you so much. And as blind people, we know how magical sound can be. Yes, and we catch more of the mistakes, I think, than sighted people who don't really use it yeah. in, as functionally in, our, in their lives as we do. So, yes, uh, you know, this is this was free of anything that made Sarah or I just go, "Hey, what do they think they're trying to pull there?" Right? Like, there's nothing like that in this whole whole piece. It was just flawless from from start to finish. Do we do these types of programs and this one in particular? Do they do anything fun with like surround sound or Dolby Atmos or at least stereo separation or is there anything immersive like that? Well, there's lots of these dramas uh, that do. This one is very pretty low key in that department. It's stereo sound, so you do get that, but it's it's very kind of I'd say you compare it to like an afternoon movie on TV. That kind of sound that is is reliable it's there uh but nothing spectacular right nothing over the top really in this instance it's oh, a great man, great quality sound yeah maybe maybe not showy in terms of the latest sort of dolby whatever but yeah. very realistic reliable wholesome sound 
Yeah, like apartment rooms sound like apartment rooms. There's you know different echoes to tell you that yes, they're in a different room now. That sort of thing, right? But nothing like you'd hear in uh, in something like a graphic audio production or you know some of the big finish stuff where they really go all out with atmosphere uh, and and you really get like wow, this was crafted with just meticulous artistry, right? Whereas this is just more kind of room atmospheres, you know, background, right? Very kind of, this is everyday life where tech is reaching in, where the supernatural is bubbling into our lives, right? And <laughs> and you sort of get that sound, that, that sense of that every day <laughs> until it's not. <laughs> right. Yeah. What are we thinking of in terms of, uh, is it worth the price? What is the price? Is it, is it worth the price? And what are those logistics in terms of where we can yeah. jump on this if it is worth it to us? So this, yeah, I would say, yes, you do get your money's worth. It's a bit, like, I would say spend the credit, right? Use a credit on this. It's the lowest price you're going to pay because <laughs> for the non-members, it's like 30, like upwards of that. Uh, for members, it's a little less, like 26, 25, something like that. Uh, but, you know, it's it's three hours of very well-executed comedy. So, you know, you could easily pass, like we, we did a, an evening with this, uh, you could easily go through an afternoon, evening of just just nonstop, just fun. You're not going to get bored. You're not going to zone out. Uh, you know, it's really engaging stuff. And uh, yeah, so I, I'd say yeah. But it, it's it, if you're paying without a credit and using cash, you might want to wait wait for it to go on sale. Uh, that happens occasionally. Every once in a while, yeah. these things will be daily deals or uh, included in one of the larger sales that Audible has, and you might be able to snag it for cheaper at that point. So, mm -hmm. yeah, maybe you know, maybe people, maybe people got a little Audible Valentine's Day card or something like that. Uh, exactly. Awesome. Yeah. Hey, anything that helps us get through the winter sounds good to me. We really appreciate chatting with you. Thank you so much for coming on the show, man. Oh, absolute pleasure. And we got more audio drama goodness next week. Fantastic. And as you mentioned, Michael Fair joins us every Thursday at this time to talk audio entertainment and tech. Coming up next, a stingray with no male companion is pregnant in her mountain aquarium. Oh, this guy, Grant Hardy, he's going to talk about this on What in the World. Oh, that's me. Stick with us. Stick around and learn something new. Kelly and Ramya return with more in a moment. Welcome back to Kelly and Ramya as we move in closer to the long weekend, shaking things up this week. Monday to Thursday, we've been rocking. Myself, Grant Hardy, and Kelly McDonald. I always wonder how much of who participates, because I lose track what provinces actually have this weekend as it, or was it last weekend, or the one, you know, later on. It just gets so confusing, so I always feel bad. I'm saying, ooh, looking forward to it, and somebody else is saying, yeah, look, would you shut up? I don't get one. And I, I can't remember if this is one of the ones, because I know in August, the Civic, isn't everywhere and it's different places different time um if there is a a monday off so <laughs> oh, Will, in, yeah. anyone that's saying like yeah 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 shut up i know you guys aren't here I, yeah be even louder shut up because i know i know i still have to go into work and it's a normal day here wow well and it 
it's very unusual for me uh, working for an Ontario company because even when we used to go into the office, we literally would just get random like Ontario days where the office was closed. And then, you know, some of the BC holidays uh, could be a little different. The Ontario one might be different and we tended to follow the Ontario format. So, yeah. Oh, so when you had a BC one, would you guys go into the office? Do you recall? So I think they eventually combined them, but yeah, it used, used to be that there were certain BC holidays where the office was open and then just random days here and there, like, oh, this is a holiday in Ontario. The office is closed. Good wow. times. Yeah, well, I guess so, especially if you get new, uh, like, extra ones compared to Ontario. You know, well, take your BC ones, too. Like, well, yeah, and by <laughs> the way, and because between Ontario and BC, you've got Saskatchewan, Manitoba, you might as well get those ones, too, and the territories. Right. Why not, Folks, right? what a world it would be. As a matter of fact, we'd say, oh, what in the <laughs> world, man? This is coming up with Grant Hardy. Do you want to know about the craziest stories news has to offer? Look no further than What in the World with myself, Grant Hardy, where I explore the most preposterous, comical, and mind-boggling stories from all across the globe. Okay, sir. What you got? What you got? What you got? All right. We are starting with a aquatic story oh i wanted to say that word aquatic watch me say aquatic instead of aqueduct later in the i show. was just gonna say but... <laughs> you might want to be practicing on the bridge aqueduct 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 aquatic aqueduct aquatic. i got this all right um we are talking about a water dwelling animal though her name is charlotte she's a rust colored stingray the size of a serving platform and she has spent her life in an aquarium in North Carolina with no other male stingrays in her tank, in her natural ha habitat. Nevertheless, uh, nature found a way, and the stingray is pregnant now with as many as four pups and could give birth in the, ne uh, in the next few weeks. Uh, everyone was pretty baffled. Uh, the, the aquarium apparently thought that there was maybe something wrong. They were overfeeding her. You know, there was some veterinary care needs. Right. Yeah. There, there were even some uh, rumors that it was some sort of quote unquote interspecies hookup with a shark, but the the aquarium confirmed that that is impo uh, impossible. And there actually is a rare process, apparently in nature, a female's egg fuses with another cell, triggers cell division, and leads to the creation of an embryo. The embryo then fuses with the, uh, with the egg and is known as a polar body. They are produced when a female is uh, creating an egg, but, you, but they usually are not used. We don't know why it happens, but apparently this time it happened, and the aquarium is expecting the birth of some new stingrays. Wow. Well, great for them in this immaculate conception. It, this is pretty cool for this to happen. Um, well, and also, like the scientists alone, the the biologists must be just, or and marine biologists, of course, uh, must be just going crazy over this because um, to have something like this happen in an aquarium environment where you now can study this. I mean, I don't know how often, Grant, this stuff is going on 
are in the ocean because obviously there's there's you know you're, there's not anything keeping you in an aquarium or penned in where you know you know you can't get uh, impregnated. Um, mm. But wow, wow, this is just something so cool to watch. But you would wonder, oh my goodness, uh, she's she's getting bigger. I think the food's disagreeing with her, or she's liking it too much, <laughs> or some, something, some kind of effect. So uh, really so, fantastic. Something's not right here. Definitely makes us think back to, you know, it's like, how the heck did life begin in the first place? Well, maybe mm. there's some clues here and there to think about. I, I wonder if there's anything about out there are going to be about the chances of any errors, issues due to the formation this way, uh, you know, or, or will the uh, offspring you know, be, be healthy? Um, any weaknesses, any disabilities? I'm kind of curious. Hmm. Oh, that's an interesting question. I yeah, don't yeah. have the answer to that, but we'll have to. I keep guarantee an eye. we will find out. Keep an eye on Charlotte the Stingray. <laughs> More, I don't know, somber story next up from England. But police say a drunken driver did the right thing after doing the wrong thing. An emergency dispatcher received an unusual call just before noon Monday when a motorist reported he was driving drunk and said, he doesn't know what he's doing. The man said he had had a rough weekend uh, and decided to report himself driving drunk when the police. So he continued to drive but ratted on himself. Pretty much, like, yeah. That's what it sounds like. Hey, somebody stop me! I'm I'm driving drunk while well, I pull over. What? Mm -hmm. I'm driving drunk right now. We'll pull your vehicle over. Yeah, well, I wanted you to know. That's why I called. So you're using the phone. You're drunk, and you won't pull over. <laughs> what? Like I, I. That's that's crazy. Well, maybe he did pull off to the side and just sit in his car and make the call. I'm exaggerating, or maybe he used his hands free. Well, that said, it's like, what do I do? Uh, pull over. Uh, <laughs> come up with a better option. No. Uh, when officers yeah. arrived, the 52-year-old man was in a van on, oh, on the side of the road. Yeah, I guess he eventually pulled over. And a breath test revealed he was three times over the legal limit and wow. was arrested. Good times. And he's lucky something else didn't pull him over, like a tree or a bridge abutment or something like that. Or Thank goodness he never hurt somebody else. But it does oh, make yeah. you wonder when we're in that inebriated state, some of the things. And I laugh and I, I jest, but... If, Again, it's that mix-up in his head that people report people drunk, drinking and driving or a drunk driver, so I better report myself because yes. I don't know what I'm doing. I'm scared. <laughs> that's awesome. Oh, man, that's awesome. <laughs> um, we've all heard about the sky-high rental prices in Vancouver, um, but one UBC student came up with an interesting solution. The student, last name uh, is Chen, uh, was living in Vancouver while going to UBC, but gave up his rental while he went on vacation in the fall. Oh, I could have told him mm. that was a bad idea. Mm. When, oh, he returned, yes. <laughs> when he returned, he was met with sticker shock. He said, when I checked the house prices, I thought, oh, shoot. I feel like he didn't actually say, oh, shoot. He probably... No, no. Other Something else, maybe a little less air-friendly. <laughs> Yes. Well, he said he began looking at the price of flights from his home in Calgary to Vancouver, and they were about 150 round trips. 
uh, sorry, for a round trip. He takes two classes per week at the university. So in total, he pays about $1,200 a month for the flights he needs to get to and from his classes while living at home. It takes about an hour, the flight, plus little time in the airport. Not, you know, outrageous if you think about how much people commute on the bus. And he says that it's actually cheaper than the average one-bedroom apartment in vancouver which sits at a whopping two thousand one hundred dollars so there you go someone is actually flying to and from ubc and living in calgary instead of moving to vancouver with the hot housing prices it was interesting because a friend of mine um ended up during the pandemic staying with family a lot of time to be there to support and so that they wouldn't be totally alone all the time and neither would the family um, they were staying with and people would say because this went on for like a year why don't you get rid of your apartment and he said why would I do that I pay so cheap in rent and it was just like he spoke the bell chimed because then all these places started to get bought up and as we see across Canada how, how much those prices just became outrageous you know just for them putting a microwave in somebody's apartment you know we're gonna do this we're gonna fix the place up we're gonna change the doorknobs on all the cupboards and then the door and put a microwave in and jack the price up $400 a month at least just to start oh yeah um he was smart, That's... and and Grant, there's a lot of that, right? Like, why would you ever pay the darn months you're not there, the four months, and keep the place? Yeah, that's like a dream for a landlord is to be like, you know what? I'm just gonna give up this apartment. Look again in the in the fall, and they're like, it'll Great. be here yeah. for you, and I'm gonna make some improvements that you'll uh-huh. love over the summer. You know, slap a little, you know. $300 microwave in here, do some minor, uh, I don't know, readjust the the whatever part of the counter, and we're going to jack up the price by like $2,000. <laughs> Good times. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, and again, I thought, Grant, with some of this, it would only be within driving range of certain big cities that you would really see this effect. I thought, okay, you know, people who are moving out who are just saying, look, I can buy a house cheaper, as as a lot did, in other areas. And then it just became this snowball of buying other cheap places, prices going up, and landlords saying, well, well, while we're at it, you know, since I'm here in Toronto, I'll just raise the price in Kitchener of the units that I own. So, mm. Yeah, there you go. It's cheaper to fly back and forth from Calgary to Vancouver. <laughs> Um, I know we've talked about these kinds of stories uh, related to crazy and wild contests, um, but there is uh, a world's ugliest lawn uh, competition that I've got here, and a, a woman named Kathleen Murray just won this contest. I don't think we've talked about this specifically on the show. Hopefully not. Mm-mm. Uh she uh, had intended to buy, she's from Tasmania, she had intended to buy a lawn mower, but she's a single mom with a couple of kids, and uh, she ended up just letting, quote-unquote, nature's lawn mowers work on her garden. Uh, so she, it became home to wallabies and kangaroos who would feast on the grass in the middle of the night. Uh, uh, qu- uh, sorry, quill... Other rodents uh, dug tunnels underneath the backyard fence. Parrots and blue-tongued lizards paid visits to the animals, made up her lawn for her without her having to water it or do anything. So essentially, it's like a very dried-up, parched uh, 
ugly lawn. Uh, but actually, this contest is interesting because it's a pro-environment contest. So apparently, ah. yeah, so apparently their point is we kind of need to move past this era of like having beautiful, green, well-manicured lawns as population grows and environmental concerns uh, continue to, to emerge. Uh, so essentially, this woman with the ugliest lawn is a hero for mm -hmm. saving the, the environment by having an ugly lawn. Well, there's been a lot of conversation lately of why we have lawns in the front and back and, you know, why people spend so much time grooming them and how there is no benefit and they it, it's just really, why do it? It's, it's a waste to do just so people drive mm -hmm. by. Oh, that's a nice lawn. Oh, look how green it is uh, until it's dry and it starts going brown. Grant, thanks a lot, man. A good conversation, great items to bring forward. We call this What in the World, folks. Tune in. We do this every other Thursday with Grant Hardy. We've got more fun stuff coming up next with Beth Deer as she joins us on The Buzz to talk about a blind peng penguin who's managed to adopt one of his friends as a guide penguin. Oh, looking forward to hearing this one. That's next on Kelly and Ramiet. Don't move away. Keep it here for more of Kelly and Ramya on AMI-tv. McDonald and Grant Hardy, myself, for hanging out with you this afternoon. Always a pleasure to do that. And thank you so much for joining us, whether you're joining us live or on the podcast or on one of our repeats on AMI-tv or AMI-audio. As we get to the bottom of our one here, it's time to bring on Beth Deer. Always a lot of fun and interesting articles from around the world as she joins us for the buzz. Hey, Beth, how's it going? Hello, hello. It's uh, it's going good. I've got some interesting stuff to bring you all today. Um, up first, there is a lady in the UK who found a painting in her attic. I keep saying her. Actually, I'm not sure if it is a lady. Um, there was just someone in the UK found this painting in their attic when they were about to move out. The antique painting was initially valued at £80, but went on to sell for 18000 at auction after wow. it turned out Whoa. to be a lost work of a renowned 19th century artist. Yeah, how crazy. How annoyed would you be if you sold something for £80 and then found out that it was actually Worth eighteen thousand. Uh, Could you even imagine? I, um, I can. I remember when my dad sold, gave my hockey cards uh, to some kid. Why we paid about two dollars for nice. all these hockey cards. The kid, I think my dad gave them to him, and the kid went out and sold them for like two hundred dollars. I was like, what? Where's my cut? <laughs> oh my goodness yeah i was i was literally thinking about like can you imagine some super knowledgeable swindler at the auction like uh you're asking 80 i'll give you 100 sold yeah. she's like yeah okay yeah, oh yeah. that's so generous of you and yeah, she so walks away crazy. saying yeah. sucker <laughs> absolutely so the artwork was by um Oh, goodness one second everyone so the artwork was by a painter named david cox um and was discovered during like a routine evaluation of the house um after the owner decided to downsize and obviously they were hoping to move um mm. the signed watercolor called lancaster sands was given a modest estimate of between 80 to 100 pounds um by this auctioneer the total paid by private uk bidder 
with buyer's premium, which I can't actually remember what buyer's premium is. Do you guys know what that is? I don't I'm remember. Sure. Maybe I've it's heard a UK it. thing. I don't know. Yeah, like I've I've heard it lots, but I don't necessarily know what that means. But I, mean, I way, think it's a minimum, the... right? Like the minimum. Mm, right. they, is it like the starting bid? I think. Yeah, probably an auction That's term. Good. Yeah, I'm... rather than yeah. Who knows? We're not auctioneers. We don't know. Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> um, um, the buyer's premium was so the final amount paid was eighteen thousand three hundred and sixty eight pounds more than 200 times what it was originally estimated <laughs> the, the seller inherited a lot of stuff oh it's a guy so the seller inherited a lot of stuff from his mother 27 years ago when she passed i was delighted and surprised by the auction result so i knew david cox was a well-known artist do you seriously though like, could you imagine you imagine yeah, if his can... mom was still around? What? What would you do? Yeah. <laughs> like, see, yeah. you know, like, like, you know, I, I, I mean, I'm, I, I don't mean to, you know, be, be silly here when people say, oh, a person's rolling over in their grave. But I'm sorry, mom's up there, you know, saying, what the heck? I rate you're smarter than that. <laughs> well, at the beginning yeah. of the article, it said that it was a lost painting, which kind of makes yeah. me think that maybe like the mom acquired it somehow and it was just like one of those things that she kept and then obviously when she passed they inherited all this stuff and everyone was kind of none the wiser by the sounds of it until oh, um glad until it was a it loss not stolen and he didn't get arrested did you have this oh, come with us well like who yeah. knows like it, it could have been and they just they just maybe didn't pick up on it like yeah. I, I wow, kind of man. would like to know more about that, but obviously there's like, I did have a little bit of a dig, but I couldn't really find anything else about it. Yeah, yeah, that's what I'm wondering. Mm -hmm. He's he's probably like, oh, this, this is what I'm hearing. Pictures, like, I guess I'll hang on to them for sentimental value. Fine. And then it's like, ooh, this is a good deal. Okay, mm -hmm. that sounds very cynical. I apologize. Yeah. Well, but, but it's sort <laughs> no, of like, grand, think, think it's like yeah, and I think it's sort of like, it falls in the category of, don't give lotto tickets to people when you're hurrying and you think, I don't know what to get them. I don't know what to get them. I'll stop and get some lotto tickets. Okay, it's a good idea. What do you mean he won a million? You know, like like how upset you'd be like, oh, congratulations. Yeah, it was one of your tickets you gave me. Thank you. Here, come on over for pizza Saturday. We got to say thank you. Yes, oh my gosh. That's funny. I'm trying don't to think how much 18,000 pounds is in Canadian dollars, I, I think. I it's was, like I was probably doing around the math. Like I want to say it would probably be around like twenty six, twenty seven thousand. Yeah, maybe? that's what I'm thinking. It's almost double, really? I think. Yeah, uh, that's what I thought. I thought it was double in a bit, but then you know, don't quote me, but I thought it was double. Hell, that bit. was that was the good old days. Let me tell I know. you. See? See? Oh, it's gone kind of the same direction as the Canadian dollar, right? Yeah. Did you hear that sound? Well, though? as as a girl who was lucky enough to like live with her parents up until she moved here, I was able to save like a decent amount of money. And I remember when I first moved, the exchange rate was 1.63, which is like one of the lowest exchange rates that I've ever seen in the last like eight years. Um, the average is about like 1.7 now. The best I've ever seen has been like 1.82, and I'm constantly like watching it because I do still have like a tiny bit of money back in the <laughs> UK. But like I, I'm able to make like a few hundred dollars depending on like how patient I am, you know. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Uh, it's close to. It's a little over thirty thousand. 
pays oh, okay. a total of thirty thousand five hundred. Wow. Okay, there you go. Yeah. Goodness. Yeah. Uh, wow. Beth, do we want to chat about your next article? Um, absolutely, we do. So, <laughs> uh, Farnham penguin finds guide bird in one of her friends. A partially sighted penguin at a bird park has found a guide bird in one of her friends. I already said that. Sorry, everyone. <laughs> Squ uh, squid, an African penguin based at the bird world in Farnham. Squid. Sorry. <laughs> I know. Oh, that'd be a, oh, my God. Hey, squid, come here. Want some squid? <laughs> <laughs> uh, in Farnham, sorry, uh, they developed uh, what's it called? Cataracts. That's it. She oh. developed cataracts as a chick. Her friend named Penguin, a penguin called Penguin, really? Um, oh my God. <laughs> well, we got a real bunch of original people here. <laughs> So Penguin steers Squid around their enclosure, helping her, and uh, she gets disorientated at feeding time, so Penguin helps her find her way. Uh, a Birdwin employee said the two developed this friendship from a young age, and she has learned to follow him at feeding time. Uh, they aren't yet mature, but penguins do tend to pair for life. Whether they become a pair themselves, we will have to wait and see. But right now, they are very compatible as friends, which... Oh, it's really cute. I, fe I feel like, yeah, isn't it? And I feel like you see these stories all the time. Like, not all the time, but, like, I'll never forget years ago now reading a story about a guide dog that um, I think maybe developed cataracts or developed some kind of eye condition while they were working obviously had to be retired the owner was able to keep them got another guide dog and the uh new guide dog guided the person and the dog pretty much everywhere they went other than like when they were like working working that is so I, neat yeah i always find it so wow. interesting just at how intelligent like i always wondered you know even about my god my former guide dog like when she's not working does she know like do they have a sense that like you actually can't see and it seems very obvious that animals do realize this kind of thing i don't know how exactly but they do seem to have some sort of sense about what isn't quite working here and how we can help with this so every stories. time you come near me you walk right over me so i think you really don't know i'm here <laughs> it's uh that's like such an interesting point grant because our pet dog jake is very much that he's very much a pet dog um and i remember when cody and i first got together cody had already had jake for a few years and uh jake we always used to call him bulldozer because he was like, you'd go to walk down the <laughs> stairs and he'd nearly take you out or like you'd take him for a walk and he'd nearly rip your arm off. But with me, he's always been very, very like gentle and careful. And if I go down the stairs, he'll either go ahead of me or he waits until I'm at the bottom of the stairs. And then he just like barrels down the stairs still. Cause he just has no, he just doesn't know how to go down the stairs any other way. And I remember the one time we left him with uh, Cody's dad and uh, he said, oh, like, do you think it'd be good if I take him for a walk? And I'm like, yeah, he's great on leash. Like, don't worry about it. It'll be fine. And then the next day we went to pick him up and he was like, I am never walking your dog again. That was awful. I was like, what do you mean? And he's like, he nearly dislocated my shoulder. Oh, oh my gosh. Because. 
sorry. <laughs> but like with his me, he's walk. like perfect. <laughs> Which ever, I do. So I do think they know. Uh, have you ever run in it with kids? Like when you were a kid, was there that one kid? And I, I know I was lucky enough to have a buddy that when I met him and I just said, oh, because he said, what's wrong with your eyes? And I said, oh, I don't see well. Oh, okay. Well, he would watch, he'd observe. And this kid was so great at the age of, I think we were like seven, eight years old at the time. He could come up with things. He looked out for me without it ever seeming like it was a chore. You know, like it was just so natural where other people, I mean, I have adults or adults out there that don't get it, right? That it's just like, mm -hmm. you know, oh, okay, you have trouble seeing, okay, well, follow me. <laughs> like yeah, that kind yeah, of yeah, exactly. There's just that lack of, but it's so funny because I liken it to say, now again, obviously I could speak enough to say, well, I have trouble seeing. But even to me yeah. at seven years old, what, what, you know, how do I explain that? Do I know how to, am I comfortable or am I just saying, well, I can't see well, you know what I mean? No, I don't. But this, this is really interesting when you find that with animals and it's, it's like another sense they know, oh, okay, you, you need a little more of, of that contact for me, for you to know I'm here for anything to go on. Mm -hmm. I think that's so neat. I do agree with kids though too, Cal's like, I think that's a really interesting point too. Like some kids, like they they know they know the words that you're saying but they don't necessarily understand the gravity of necessarily like what they mean they kind um, of just accept i remember yeah exactly and i remember the one time i was babysitting um some like family friends kids mm -hmm. um and it wasn't that long after i left my site probably like two years and uh i had said to the two little girls i was like okay like when i come like we can watch frozen like it'll be really fun like we'll have snacks whatever and uh, I remember when I got there, they were like, we uh, we don't know where Frozen is, so we can't watch Frozen. I was like, oh, that's fine. Let me play games, whatever. Um, anyway, I was talking to their parents like a few days after watching them, and they were like, Beth, they told you they couldn't find Frozen <gasps> because they didn't oh. want you to be upset that you couldn't see it. Oh, that's so oh. sad. Is oh, it, my gosh. But it, what like a considerate like thing. Misguided to a point, but so that well, so well intentioned. Yeah, 100%. Like, so cute. Wow. Wow, that's so interesting. Kids are, things mean a lot to a child, I guess. Like, the, the frozen thing, the, the amount that you would sort of think about this. Like, how is this going to affect, I don't know, Beth's life like how is this going to affect us if we can't watch it like how do we like processing that like a very complex sort of emotion is really tough i guess mm -hmm. for kids but definitely all down sweet. into i we don't want to hurt her feelings yeah yeah exactly so, like just what a like kind and caring approach even if yeah like you said cows like they kind of like misunderstood like a teeny bit <laughs> Always dig it when kids are super caring and animals yeah. are super caring as well. Always a lot of fun to chat with here on The Buzz. Beth, uh, we've got another buzz tomorrow, and we've got The Buzz every Wednesday, Thursday, and Friday at this time. Thanks for chatting with us. Always. We are going to take a short break here, but we've got another hour of the show coming up next. In the next hour on our weekly roundtable, we're joined by our friend of the show, Mark Phoenix. Plus, on Curious Minds with Christine Mellick, we talk about what an aqueduct is and why they were important. But up next, what are some common kitchen mistakes and how can we correct them? I'm going to be paying attention for this one. It's Mary Manlady who gives us some tips. Stay with us.
Keep it here for more of Kelly and Ramya on AMI-tv. Welcome to Hour 2 of Kelly and Ramya with Grant Hardy filling in for Ramya. I'm Ethan. She is a little under the weather. We are keeping our fingers crossed, sending her some positive thoughts, and uh, we hope she'll be back next week, although Brock Richardson is going to be with you tomorrow, so that's going to be cool. Grant Hardy, as I mentioned, with Kelly McDonald. And just to make sure Ramya stays inside, we've sent her something oh. to help her be really under the weather. Uh, snow. Lots of it headed around <laughs> to this part of Ontario today. So uh, <laughs> if you're having to go out, be careful, ladies and gentlemen, wherever you are. We know it's been hitting different, different parts of Canada at different times, so uh, look out for yourself, but uh, make sure. That's just that little help to make sure Ramya says, no reason to go outside. Dog, take yourself. On Thursdays, we get cooking with Mary Mamaliti of Kitchen Confession. If you're like me, the kitchen is your favorite room in the house. I'm Mary Mamaliti, here with a handful of goodies from my kitchen, including food trends, cooking tips, and of course, some delicious recipes. Make sure you visit kitchenconfession.com to get as many of those recipes out there that are posted that you can and enjoy interacting with Mary via the site. Now, what happens when things in the kitchen go haywire? Never happens, Grant. Never happens. <laughs> I'm talking those of overcooked eggs, those sinking cakes, and soggy veggies. Ugh. We've all been there. Luckily, Mary is here with the help to steer us away from those kitchen disasters in the future. Mayor, welcome back. And um, Mayor. What about them soggy yes. vegetables? <laughs> How can we avoid what cooking about, those? Ugh. What Over about those veggies? <laughs> exactly. Exactly. So let's start off. When you're boiling greens, make sure that the water's already boiling and it's nicely salted. So once they're done, don't just drain them and then forget about it. Remember that because the veggies, they keep on cooking even after you take them out of the pot. So if you're worried that they might get a little too or the they're becoming too mushy or at the brink of becoming mushy, give them a quick dunk in a bowl of icy water after draining. That'll help stop that cooking process and avoid the little mushy vegetables. Um, mm. Here's a little tip. Keep a fork handy because you want to poke some of the vegetables and to check that they're cooked, you get it. You ever hear the saying when they say fork tender? That's what yep. they mean. They mean take your fork, poke that little veggie, and then that's how you know that they're ready to, to drain and they're ready to eat and enjoy. Um, so how it works is most green veggies, they are good with just about three minutes in a hot pot of water, but cauliflower, broccoli, they might need a little extra because it also depends on the, the, the size, right? And that's when the fork comes in handy because then you right. poke it so, and that's when you know. It's so if you have mixed through. veggies going on in there for whatever reason, would you lean on the longer side, obviously, to get that broccoli and cauliflower kind of dealt with? I would. Um, I would. Yeah, and not, not necessarily worry about overcooking the carrots. Absolutely. Um, I, you want to make that sure that cauliflower and the broccoli is cooked. But even if it's a little, it's got a little bite to it, it's still good. It's still delicious. Yeah. And then this way you avoid overcooking the other veggies. Hmm. Interesting. But an I think... easy, but I want to talk about Brussels sprouts. I have to mention this. Sorry about that, because this gets me all the time. If you want to boil Brussels sprouts, boil them whole. Because the minute you start slicing and cutting into them, that is when you're going to get a soggy disaster. Right. So that's my little mm -hmm. tip with the Brussels sprouts. 
Do we yeah. know why? Like, why would you say it's just because it just makes them that much weaker already when you when you take away that that combined solidness to stand not stem but you know the end there. Well, because in the Brussels sprout, Brussels sprouts are like a little mini cabbage, so they're all leaves, mm, and they're I tightly see what you mean. Yes, yes, meshed the together. So the minute you slice into that, it opens everything yeah. up, and the water can flow through, and it just it it cooks everything a lot quicker. Okay. And um, right. I'm not saying don't boil them; just boil them whole. Yeah. And then if you want to cut them, cut them after. But here are some easy ways to cut the Brussels sprouts. So you want to start by trimming off the stem end of each Brussels sprout. You want to use a sharp knife while doing this, and because this removes any dry or discolored parts of the Brussels sprout. Next, peel away any of those loose leaves. Because those loose leaves, they could be damaged, um, and they're also harder. They, they don't taste as good. So the other leaves, they could just be tough, and it won't mm. give you that even cook. So just remove some of them. And normally when you cut the top, the bottom off the uh, Brussels sprout, and you start removing the leaves, the outer layers, the tough ones end up falling off, and they're just easy to remove. Um, having the Brussels sprouts. Mm -hmm. This is key because I want everyone to be safe when you're doing this. They're little round little buggers. They can roll around everywhere, <laughs> right? So you want to stabilize them. Hey, so I place that get in the living room. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Where'd you go? <laughs> Me, it's usually stop, drop, and roll in the kitchen until I find whatever it is I drop. Yeah, that's that's honestly the toughest thing about cutting things in the kitchen. I'm surprised there's not, So I guess this would be tough to do some sort of a like cutting board bowl or something that slopes down but yeah how do you cut those 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 really tiny things that just roll away right away roll oh my goodness all you have easy easy peasy put uh, a rimmed baking sheet underneath your cutting board so place your cutting board inside that rimmed baking sheet so when you're cutting and they roll your baking sheet will actually keep everything in that area so we don't have to go Brilliant. searching for it <laughs> What what is um Leanne, Leanne Barda tells us too to keep track of some of those things, keep your takeout containers from like Swiss Chalet and stuff that already mm -hmm. have and do either cutting in there or just keeping your things in there that you do worry they're gonna roll whether whether it's like you say before you do your Brussels or if you are gonna cut so that those things just don't get away on you. Yeah, yeah. I mean, Nothing this like way you them keep falling it into the soapy water. Yeah, soapy water and then anywhere they get everywhere. Um, so what I want you to do is take that Brussels sprout. Once you've trimmed the bottom, trim the end off of that, place that trim end of the Brussels sprout flat side down on the cutting board. It stabilizes that little Brussels sprout. And then you can carefully slice that in half from top to bottom. Quartering it, again, just take that half, place it that half flat side down onto your cutting board and then slice that in half again. It's all about Brilliant. keeping it secure. <laughs> Super good tips for our veggies. And Kelly, you gave me an excuse to order in more. So I appreciate both of you for being here today. <laughs> um, all right, let's chat about eggs. They're very nutritious. They're very tiny, tiny, but yet apparently they're at the root of many cooking disasters. So how can we try mm -hmm. to overcook, avoid overcooking, avoid them sticking to the pan, avoid them being the downer of our evening or morning <laughs> more whenever you choose to eat them and enjoy them okay let's talk all about eggs so they cook up really quickly right they don't stop when you remove them from the pan either so they keep on cooking so for omelets flip them over while the middle is still running so here's how to tell if it's time to flip what you want to do is take the spatula run that along the outer edge of the egg 
I mean, on the inside of the pan. And the minute, if it begins to lift and you're able to slide your spatula under it halfway, then it's ready to flip, right? So you just want to fold it at that point. Right. 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 And that's it. just because the, the, you'll know that it's, it's nice and heavy and steady onto your spatula. And that's when you can flip it. Scrambled eggs. Those should be cooked over medium heat, right? You want them all to play together happily and nicely in the pan. You don't want to scorch them. And no one wants to get upset. So keep that on a medium heat. You don't want to go too high of a flame on that. For a perfect boiled egg, bring the water to a boil, gently drop the eggs into the pot, and then cook them for about six minutes. If you're looking for like a fairly runny yolk, seven for a firmer, more creamier yolk, which is one of my favorites. And then for perfectly poached eggs, you can use an egg poacher, which is perfectly fine. Just keep in mind that it may dry them out a little bit. So okay, alternatively, yeah. what you can do, right? Add a splash of vinegar to a pot of boiling water. Swirl that around using a spoon. Break your eggs into a small little bowl and then tip that bowl with your eggs into the pot and then cook them for about two to four minutes. Oh, don't forget timers. I always recommend everyone should have a timer in their kitchen. Whether it's your phone, whether it's Google, uh, what is it, Alexa? Alexa, someone. Mm -hmm. Someone's timing something. Yeah, that's and always then, the best. Yeah. It's always the best, either like a cheap, like whatever plastic timer that you don't mind kind of putting your hands all over when they're dirty yeah. or the voice assistant. I always find it. Either of those are super yeah. helpful. Yeah, I'm always using it. I got a great deal on my Google Home years and years and years ago, and it's still going strong. Um, so I use that quite a bit. I want to quickly mention about eggs sticking to the pan. So yes. egg whites, they're pure, pro they're, they're pure protein. Right? There's no fat to save them from clinging to that like an unprepared pan. So if you've got a nonstick pan, it's still a good idea to give it a little quick rub down with some oil on a piece of kitchen paper towel. And then if your pan isn't the nonstick type, do not skip this step. So just add a thin layer of oil or butter to the base. It will save you it cleanup. <laughs> Definitely. Okay. Definitely. Awesome. Okay, and just Mary. make sure that pan's uh... sizzling hot. All right. Can we talk seared steak uh, to wrap things up? We got about a minute and a bit. Okay, seared steak. If your steak is not searing or browning, chances are the meat may be too wet. So pat it dry with some kitchen paper towel. Best results, let it sit uncovered in the fridge for about an hour or two. That'll dry it out and then allow it to come to room temperature again before you cook it. Remember to oil the meat, not the pan. That's key. And then add salt, but hold off on the pepper until the end because it prevents it from burning. Pepper will scorch in a hot pan. Um, make sure your pan is super hot. And then how to test it. Feel that heat when you hover your pan, your hand directly over the pot. And if you have to pull away immediately, you're good to go. Okay. Fantastic. Uh, Mayor, before we lose you, Dish with Mary on tonight at 9 p.m. on AMI-tv. What's on tap? Yes, we are. <laughs> Dish with Mary's on tonight. This week's episode, we talk to actually we travel to Merritt, BC to talk to uh, we visit Kakuli Cafe to meet owner Sharon Bond. Uh, we go foraging with Elder Emilia and I get introduced to holistic berry that doubles as a delicious dessert. You are not going to want to miss this because it is so good and so interesting. Uh, and then Sharon shares her story of how she put an urban twist on a traditional Bannock recipe. 
Oh, man. Bannock is great stuff. Awesome. Got uh, to make it when I was in Nunavut. Uh, check out Mary's discussions and recipes on kitchenconfession.com. And Mary, this guy says he's going to get into more taking food out so he can gather those trays <laughs> together. I'm going to tell him something on the break that I think when we return, he'll be like, ah, for those good t cooking tips, I think I'll stick home. Stick home and make my food. Thanks, Mary. That's it. <laughs> Thank you. Bye. Mary Mammoliti, every Thursday here on the program to get our second hour going and to get you hungry. Oh, it's always amazing, those those little nuggets of information. You know, put a cookie sheet under the cutting board that I would never have thought of that in a million, in a million years, but it's a bit too brilliant, hey? It is. It is. As you get chasing your stuff around, it really like radishes or whatever. It becomes so frustrating. So mm -hmm. I love those tips. They're amazing. All right. Hope you guys can stay with us because up next, it's Curious Minds. And with Christine Malik, we're going to talk about what an aqueduct is and why they were important. That's next. Don't go away. There's more great conversation with Kelly and Ramya right around the corner. Welcome back to Kelly and Ramya. Grant Hardy filling in for Ramya Mukun with Kelly McDonald today. One of the easiest things to cut back on is Uber and del del food delivery apps. And we were just talking about this before the break. But Kelly, you have a little bit of a more dramatic reason to cut back on it besides money. Yeah, well, you know, recently I had to have, have a conversation um, about, you know, things like cockroaches, bed bugs, with somebody who handles disposal. And one of the things they said that a lot of people don't realize is when we do our ordering of foods, we don't know where the bags have come from, where they've been sitting. And of course, unfortunately, restaurants do have to have pest control in on a regular basis. And sometimes things ride to your house on those items, whether they've come from the delivery car, the home of the delivery driver, or the restaurant itself. And uh, sometimes you get a little surprise. Plus, our grocery bags, right? The reusable. We're all big on the reusable, but a lot of time we forget to take care of those bags afterward. And probably the best ones are the ones that as soon as we finish emptying it, we can run it right to the washer and, and wash it out because our little friends that like to hang out on vegetables or around them while they're sitting in trucks and so on and in the back before they're brought out and hosed down and so on, they travel as well. And sometimes we don't even think about them laying there in the bottom of the bag. We roll it up, close it up, and they just love it. It's a party for them. Yeah, that's not and ideal. That's no, absolutely no, not, not fun either. <laughs> not fun, not ideal, especially thinking about those shared spaces, those delivery cars, wherever, where you have no control over. I think I'm going to go back onto the Kelly and Ramia podcast, which you can subscribe to in all of your favorite podcast apps. I'm going to find all of Mary's segments, and I'm going to finally do some uh, adulting and uh, go through them, make notes. Learn how to cook because I've got another it's, reason. Yeah, to back on my it's delivery. a tough one, Grant, isn't it? Because you <laughs> want to live. People, it's it, these are great services, and it's not always that way. And I I understand those of us who may not be able to see, may not be able to catch something like that, or take a look and say, "Hey, whoa, what was that? What is that there?" Um, even you know, as you're shopping or that kind of thing, you just have to put a lot of trust in what you're doing and do the get the measures that you can do the best you can. But uh, you know, they used to say, you know, cockroaches would come in on laundry if people had to use laundry mats or share a laundry in a building but i think sometimes you got to think about our foods too where we don't even realize and they mm. get in and you know okay so one gets in never one they'll multiply quick enough in an hour there's more than that i'll say i'll say they're definitely 
kind of out of sight, out of mind for me. Not something I really think about me or too. know that much about. <laughs> and speaking of that, I feel like there are one or two more things like that that we just don't always have the correct concept about what it is. And that's where Christine Melek comes in. She is joining us now for Curious Minds. Christine Malik, and this is Curious Minds, our dive into arts, culture, and science from a blindness perspective. Hey, Christine, welcome to the program. Thank you. So last time you were on, I, believe, I was on for this segment, I believe, as well, and we talked about uh, ancient irrigation systems, and now we're going to talk about aqueducts, kind of a tongue twister, that word, and <laughs> how do the two connect? Uh, well, they connect in a few ways, technology and sociology. So the, the sociology I'm going to just sort of touch on because I think it's really important. And then we talked about this in irrigation too, that when people work together, they can achieve more. And so we have this kind of social contract that we make where we agree to abide by the laws and customs of where we live and treat people in a, you know, a good way and in exchange and pay taxes. And then in exchange, we get hmm. things like roads and emergency services and libraries and things like social safety networks. And so the, the connection that I'm making is that aqueducts are a really interesting example of this. And the first Roman aqueduct was in Rome in 312 BC. So this is a technology that they had. And as they conquered different parts. They had a huge empire. That was one piece of technology that came with them. And so, although, I mean, this is a big subject of debate, but no one wants to be conquered by an empire. But once you are, one of the benefits is that you get things like aqueducts and roads. And so mm -hmm. that's the sociological connection is that we get things that are bigger than us when we cooperate together as a society. Um, the other obvious overlap is technology. So irrigation systems were specifically about getting water to uh, arable to make land more arable. Aqueducts were a lot more about getting water to cities and for uses other than agriculture. They they were used for agriculture and industry as well. But in into the major cities of the Roman Empire, they were used for public fountains, which meant that you didn't have to trudge, you know, three kilometers to the river or however far it was to get fresh water. You had water to scour uh, sewer systems, latrines. Mm -hmm. You had uh, public baths, which was a big feature. Again, one of those things like it's it sucks to be conquered by Rome, but then you get public baths and that's pretty good. And if you're wealthy enough, you could have water right into your home. And so we think of these as modern innovations. Uh, but as with irrigation systems, the Romans were doing this using what they had to hand, which was gravity, the lay of the land, and um, know-how and some materials. They The Romans had concrete. And so what we're talking about is using gravity to get fresh water from higher elevations to lower elevations. And you can do this in a concentrated way, which means you can support a concentrated population of a lot of people. So what this looks like is often, like irrigation systems, they were often underground. Um, 
the pipes or channels might be stone or brick or ceramic or lead, and it was using gravity. So the tunnels might be underground. If there was mountains in the way, they might move around. They would construct around natural landforms where they could. But the evidence that we have today of it is when it had when the aqueducts had to cross a lowland like a valley or a river, and that's where you get uh, some of the images we're going to look at in a minute, which are sort of bridge-like arches that supported a big channel of water. And so along this channel, you would have control mechanisms like sluice gates or sediment sort of tanks where the water would sit for a bit and things could settle out of it. Um, and that's that's sort of how it was con uh, controlled. Um, and this, so this became a kind of a symbol of, of Roman civilization that a lot of people liked. And it did definitely improve the quality of life when you can scour your latrine systems when you can bring fresh water uh, to your yes. people yeah that's huge that's yeah, huge yeah. and um one thing i want to say and I, I should preface every segment by saying this my segments aren't so much about me educating people it's about a, a, how a blind person with a curious mind learns and so there's a really high chance that i get some of this stuff wrong especially when it comes to images because what i've started doing as in anyone who's attended the last few is uh watched the last few segments is using ai to describe some uh some photos and ai gets it wrong ai does get it wrong yeah. sometimes it, it, it's very interesting <laughs> especially this subject like it's the curiosities of things we either don't perceive because we weren't there don't really have that concept and again as we talked chris before you can't pick it up in your hands and examine it like we can somebody right. can make a model for us but to really uh -huh. get that idea what do you mean the sediment sits there why why how come yeah. because the way the land works <laughs> or when you think of the people the engineers all right go out and find out how we're gonna get that water 15 miles away to hear, mm -hmm. do it, mm -hmm. go figure it out. And in 20 years, once you're done, once we're done figuring it out and building it, we'll have water here. It's so amazing. Um, let's get into these pictures that you've got because you've got a few for us. Uh, what's your first one? The first one is, uh, some. so some of these still exist as bridges and arches. So this one is from uh, a, a area near Rome. So we have a photo with some AI generated description. So let's give a look and a listen to that. stretching across a green field. The sky above is a vibrant blue with wispy clouds. The aqueduct is made of weathered stone and stands out prominently against the natural landscape. The grass in the field appears well-kept and is a bright shade of green, suggesting it might be spring or summer. The series of arches, constructed from stone, would have supported a channel or conduit on top where water was transported from a distant source. The robust construction ensured durability and the ability to span long distances without the need for pumping technology. The water channel that would have run along the top of the aqueduct is not visible in the image. It is likely that only the supporting arches remain, which is common with ancient aqueducts where the upper structure has been lost or destroyed over time. So you can see here what a massive undertaking this would have been. And you can't do this oh. with like, you know, a small village of people. It requires mm -hmm. lots of infrastructure to build. So, um, when, anything when you... there that puzzles you, like such as the, like when you hear that description, Chris, um, the arches, or do you wonder, I, I find myself with the descriptions, how high? Now, obviously, they're going to vary. You know, one the one yes, next to it might yes, be 10 yes. feet, the one next to it, because it has to do the sloping a little bit, might be nine and a half or, or, or higher. It's true. I was lucky enough once to get my hands on a 3D model of a bridge, and so I got to understand that the bridge is the flat part, and the arches are what support it. And so what it is is a series of arches placed snugged up right side by side, and 
for if you're a, a physics person or an architecture person, you understand that this is an effect, efficient way to distribute weight. So how yeah. high they are, how thick they are, those are details that you know I don't have. Uh, but obviously, it's a dominant figure in the landscape, and so obviously they must be strong enough to that they've survived. You know. To, Oh, yeah. and tampering and another an enemy tampering. army coming along right. and destroying or whatever right sorry grant go ahead so the arches are essentially dare i say like kind of like support poles yes. like something to anchor yeah. from the ground to the to hold up the rest of the structure yeah, yeah so it's easy to bed. imagine pillars that would just support right. it but instead of having two pillars um contacting if you stretch it over and make a two pillars that join in an arch you get this the weight is distributed better and a little more broadly and so what you would have is the bridge or the aqueduct resting on the tops of all of these arches that are placed side by side by side so if you looked at it you would see a series of sort of pillars snugged up against each other with a curved space in between them got it we've got a yep yeah, we've got, a, we've got a few other examples. So we'll see what we have time for. But these yeah, were, got a few so minutes. these were, yeah, these were all over the, the Roman Empire. And so uh, then the next one I have is from Segovia, Spain. So uh, similar, but let's give another look and listen. The aqueduct in Segovia, Spain, is a Roman era feat of engineering. It consists of two tiers of tall arches stacked upon each other. The lower tier comprises smaller arches, while the upper tier has larger arches that carry the water channel at the top. The entire structure is built from large, precisely cut granite blocks, assembled without the use of mortar. The aqueducts would have worked by transporting water from a source, such as a river or spring, to the city. The structure uses gravity to move water along the channel at the top of the upper arches. The water would flow from the countryside into the city. The gradient of the aqueducts was carefully calculated to ensure the water kept moving but did not flow so fast that it would erode the channel or spill out. And so we don't need to get to... Yeah, we got a couple minutes here, so really quick... Yeah. Yeah. I just um so the water got used in the ways I've described, but also for like milling and some some industries that didn't that didn't destroy the water, they could reuse it. And um I, I just love thinking about these systems because they're massive examples of human ingenuity and what people can do when they cooperate with a good idea in mind, which is improving public health and public convenience and quality of life. I'm all about public yeah. you know, I'm not sure about the public baths part, but I really like having hot and cold running yeah, water in my exactly. <laughs> well and you wonder what else it was used kind of for by the design of it to keep, you know, for travelers, for anything else that they could have in certain ways. Let's check the last one you got chris this one's from what from france from france from pontigard france let's check this out the picture shows an ancient roman aqueduct with three tiers of arches standing majestically over a river the structure is made of light tan stones and the lowest tier consists of larger more robust arches that touch the water the middle tier has slightly smaller arches and the top tier the smallest the sky is a clear blue and the surrounding landscape is lush with greenery the river below reflects the aqueduct and the trees on its banks the water channel is not visible in the picture. It would be located at the top of the aqueduct, which is not shown in detail from this angle. The focus is on the arches and the overall structure. Wow. So one thing I think about is like, it's a little hard to conceptualize. I want a 3D model under my hands. That's mm -hmm. really what yes. I want the yes. most, but these are sort of helpful. And I imagine being someone living at that time period, and maybe you live in the country and you don't know that much about Rome, and then you're on a trip and then you're looking, 
whole and the awe that you would experience to see something like that for the first time. Because even now, for us, it's an awe-inspiring thing, and yeah. we're used to big buildings Three and structures. levels with that one, right? And you right? imagine the kids playing on it and stuff like that. You <laughs> picture what it would be like climbing up to the top or or even go for the goal of, I wonder if we could swim in that. Yeah, I don't want right. to get into that thought. But, yeah. <laughs> I wonder if people did that. I don't know. About oh, I bet they did. Or let it, and let it carry them, right? Like, we like a transport. <laughs> the lazy river. The lazy oh, river. Oh, my that gosh. Sounds, the first give me an inner Oh. <laughs> yeah. Awesome, Chris. Thank, Thank you. you so much. Okay. R really dig this segment, actually. Uh, I think it just gives some, some insight into people into what they maybe take for granted that uh, we would love to learn about, too. That was Christine oh, Malik. Yeah. She joins us on the third Thursday of the month for Curious Minds. Coming up next, it is your segment, man. It's the weekly roundtable led by you, on which we're joined by our friend Mark Phoenix. It's fun, insightful, and inclusive. Kelly and Ramya return in a minute. Thanks so much for joining us, folks, for sticking with us. Kelly and Ramya with Kelly McDonald and myself as we inch a little bit closer here to the long weekend, but still got a little bit of this show and tomorrow's show coming up. Before that, Grant Hardy with Kelly McDonald. And folks, as we do on Thursday to get you started, start swinging and thinking towards the weekend. Let's get into it. It's time for the Thursday Roundtable. Isn't it convenient that we have a roundtable? Well, it's actually <laughs> oval. Just you, say yeah. it. The blind guy feels it now goes, <laughs> well, I don't know. Well, yeah, I guess it is oval. Kind of oval. So here you go, folks. Open conversation. We do this every Thursday. I get to facilitate, and it's a pleasure. It's a lot of fun to handpick a few things to talk about. We welcome back to talk about the subjects that, ah, boy, do we have some fun today on the show. Uh, Mark Phoenix, friend of the show. How are you, pal? How's things out in Newfoundland? The snow kicking out there? Uh, you know, it, it uh, tapered off uh, overnight. It just left a meter and a half high drift around our car, which was fun to punch through. But Oh, uh, yeah. Fortunately, we don't need to go anywhere for a few days, so we're happy just to huddle in here and stay warm. Oh boy! We, 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 now this is this is as Grant and I started the show talking about old radio show. That's the excuse to sit the walk. Can't go anywhere. Put a few of these shows <laughs> on and listen for hours at a time. Boy, exactly. Uh, guys, there we go. I love it. I love it. Uh, guys, got a few things to talk about today. Let's start with Canada's actors, directors, and musicians who are sounding the alarm over artificial intelligence, saying it threatens their livelihood and reputations. Groups representing people who work in TV, movies, and music testifying before the House of Commons Industry Committee today called on the Liberal government to protect their industries in its AI legislation. Actors Union ACTRA says unbridled use of AI could result in people's names and images being misused in artificially crafted videos. And the Directors Guild of Canada says generative AI like ChatGPT is reproducing extensive amounts of work without permission or compensation. Meanwhile, Music Canada says AI-generated content should be labeled as such so that people can tell the difference. Brenda Molina Navidad, The Canadian Press. So you get to where you start saying on what levels and where first do we care as people. I know we've had several conversations on this program and up and down the network 
pertaining, for example, narrators. Can you tell one narrator from another when it comes to an audiobook? We we see the crisis going on with fakes when it comes to music and the concerns there that so many artists have. Um, first, initially, when the Hollywood actors and everybody went on strike, the writers and everyone um, last year, the big issues were, were primarily around the AI and thoughts of, okay, you find a writer's room, put it together, launch a new series, you let them write the episodes for season one. Wow, it's become a success now for season two. Thanks, guys. Appreciate you coming out. Beat it. Don't let the door hit you in the back on your way out. Now let's get AI to write the next 40 episodes. And wow, these are some of the fearful things, Mark, we see coming along. Where do you, when listening to that, where do you first get the concern? Well, my first concern is if we if the intent is to slowly replace human involvement with just, you know, having a computer generate it, what are people going to do to put food in their food in their mouths and the roof over their head? Uh, why? What are we even doing if the intent seems to be to try to replace people at every stage of a creative operation with just seeing whatever a computer can manage to spit out, having mashed up? A bunch of content created by humans that it's gone in and remixed and tried to guess okay what is this what is the uh you know what's the client asking me to generate here here's here's the result um there's a human it sounds kind of you know silly and mystical but there's a human touch to things which you can kind of detect versus something that a computer has just gone in and tried to generate based on its massive database of archived art and science and text and music and sound and at this point it still can't quite match it it can be interesting it can certainly be there as a supplemental um but i think the you know i think the concerns about AI and large language models being used to replace humans entirely are legitimate because the reasons they're being used to replace humans aren't to make things any easier or better. It's to save money. It's to, you know, avoid having to pay an actual human to do what they do. Instead, we'll just pay, a, you know, somewhat less to a company to use their server farm to generate the same thing and you know never mind the quality you know people will buy you know the ad space will be sold anyway the subscriptions will be paid for anyway we don't need to worry about it well you've come back to the problem of what are all those people who've been rendered redundant and unemployed going to do to feed clothe and house themselves and their loved ones you know, some of the market that I worry the most about is that market for us that's smaller. People doing audio description, people narrating books. That field itself, narrating audiobooks, sure, it's a huge industry now, but a lot of the narrators, this for uh, mainstream people, is new. 10, 15 years old, they've been listening to books narrated by people. But if you can clone their voices, if you can create their voices where you can't even tell, you're not worried about it. Or if you're told, hey, man, there's, we can produce X number of audiobooks with narrators, physical narrators, but we can produce 10 times that a year using AI. And you could have that much more field grant out there to choose from. It, it's, a, it's a heck of a battle, especially when, you know, we talk to people who are low vision, blind, print restricted. We love, oh man, that's a great narrator. They've got the nuances, some of the things Mark mentioned, and we all know it's about the timing and, and the creativity of what they can do. But when you start whipping off AI books that now have multiple readers all the time, because we all say, boy, it's really nice when you get a narrated book with three or four readers. I, I truly, I truly wish I had more positive things to say about AI, because 
it certainly has some benefits in accessibility. It would be beneficial to get quicker just audio description. It would be beneficial to be able to describe pictures, absolutely. But I do view AI as sort of an existential threat a little bit, and it's a sign that I'm aging because I've never questioned technology before, like I'm questioning AI. And I just really worry about the same stuff that that Mark mentioned, like, are we paying attention to what we're doing? Like, we're getting to the point where we could take almost everybody's jobs in the foreseeable future, like, realistically. Mm-hmm. What are we going to do? Are we thinking about the ethics? It, it drives me absolutely bonkers to visit, you know, Facebook or a forum or something and see people just pasting scripts from AI instead of writing content. I feel the same way about music, books, etc. And especially because, Kelly, the AI... There's no meaning. It doesn't know what it's saying. It literally is using language, word prediction, and, you know, just writing content that sounds nice. But it's not like it actually knows what the content means like you and I do. No. No, and you get those feelings, guys. Um, you think back to all your science fiction stuff, whether it's Ray Bradbury stuff or or, or, or others today, that everything preaches the whole there's no emotion no feel that mark was talking about. not to mention you think in history when people have sounded the alarm hey we have to be aware of this thing called electricity what's it going to do when it comes to the gas industry the dangers of it whatever it might be as inventions and things started to come to be there were all these alarms and there are times you stop and say yeah it would have been interesting if someone did kind of Take note of that and slow down like we see with, with uh, you know, uh, whether it's electric vehicles or, or driverless vehicles. Guys, I'm going to move on to our next item here, which is a treasure trove of Elton John's possessions are up for auction, folks. It's a little bit funny. They're from his Atlanta home where he moved in the 70s, wrote music, and really became a collector. It doesn't have to cost $100,000. It can cost five dollars i have an eclectic taste and that's what my apartment was in atlanta it was my man cave full of things <laughs> i just loved mementos from everywhere in the world and things that i got up every day and they all gave me inspiration everything from a grand piano to platform boots to a rolls royce and artwork 900 pieces in all christie says sales started a hundred dollars and skyrocket from there julie walker new york it's amazing because you'd hear years ago, not many, that many years ago, about Elton John Grant bankrupting himself because he loved to spend money, loved to buy stuff for people, and we're hearing some things that he obviously liked to spend his money on for his man cave. Yeah, I mean, that's just really genuine, and dare I say that's why I'm glad to have someone like Elton John in history instead of some computer. But that's just the <laughs> thing, is we get to know so much about you know, people's personalities, their eccentricities, like that sounds really, you know, fun. And I'd love to read more about his, uh, his possessions. And it sounds like, you know, there, there is a lot more than just wealth and money and wanting to possess things that were the the motivators. It was more just like, Hey, these are the things I, I love. And I'd love to share them with all of you as well. I couldn't afford it, but I'd love the Rolls Royce, Mark. (laughs) (laughs) Don't we all love the Rolls Royce? Oh I gosh. like. I kind of like Grant would be kind of interested in hearing some of the stories behind why he acquired some of these items, like some of the clothes that were just shown. Um, you know, the Rolls the Rolls Royce. It's obvious it's a Rolls Royce. <laughs> yeah. yeah, but you know, like you've collected so many things over years, you, you got a whole history of a person. 
in this one house. And, you know, it would almost be kind of neat to have someone kind of go through and interview about some of this stuff and ask, why'd you get this? Why'd you put this on your mantle? Uh, you know, did you really want to give this up? Uh, that this, that, and the other thing, you know, there's, it's a whole bio, it's a whole biography. And I think we think, my gosh, how could you, this guy's got so much money, how could he even remember most of this stuff or whatever? But you definitely <laughs> heard in that, him discussing the things he liked in that house. That's where he could go and put on those darn boots and stuff like that uh, and have that 70s feel where things were happening so much for him. But this is a musician that over the years has had the means been able to travel, pick up whatever he might want or have it ordered and shipped to his home in Atlanta or whichever one of his homes, but to say this is the specific house where all these cool things settled down. Um, yeah, I don't know. I sit there and I tease about the Rolls Royce, but like you said, Mark, those stories, that's pretty cool. Absolutely. And he's just one musician. Imagine yeah. all these musicians and actors and other artists who have these mm. homes you know, full of tchotchkes and things they've collected over the years and at some point you know they're going to be auctioned off or sold off or distributed and it's not too often that you know you, people are going to get a look this kind of glimpse into the life and the tastes and the interests of a celebrity you know that's not filtered through entertainment programs and websites and p layers of public relations and that kind of thing so you know it's a, it's a neat thing to kind of see these uh, auctions happen Grant sounds like he would describe and tell the stories. You heard the passion in his voice. Absolutely. And isn't that cool? Like to get a little bit of a glimpse in uh, a person where, like I said, it sounds like it's, it's not even, you know, like he said, it's not about buying something incredibly expensive. It could be five or 10 bucks, but it's about sort of the story and uh, the passion uh, behind it. And I actually love this this age that we're in where we're getting to know a lot more about celebrities. We're seeing them on, on the socials. You know, we're able to kind of get some photos of some more intimate moments of them looking at their stuff or in their house or doing what they do. And that's great. Like, it's great to go beyond the music and really get to know somebody. Yeah, it really humanizes them. Uh, guys, I'm going to stick a little bit with collection history here with this one, to some degree. Shipwreck hunters have discovered a merchant ship that sank in Lake Superior in 1940 during a story off Michigan's Upper Peninsula that took its captain down with it. It's a little bit funny. They're from his Atlanta home where he moved in the 70s, wrote music, and really became a collector. It doesn't have to cost $100,000. It can cost $5. I have an eclectic taste, and that's what my apartment was in Atlanta. It was my man cave full of things I just loved. Mementos from everywhere in the yep. world. Guys, we, we actually need the next clip. I got up every day, uh, yeah. and that <laughs> all gave There we go. Yeah. Okay, guys, we'll get that for you in a sec. Right so <laughs> uh, they're just scooping it up there. So we'll get I mean, that one. Um, I mean, it's hard to move on from Elton John, right? From Elton John. Well, <laughs> has Elton John done a cover of The Wreck of the Edmund Fitzgerald? There we go. Yeah, that makes you think, right? Right? Or, and you think about these darn great lakes that we've got here and how powerful they are and the stories. You want to talk of stories. Let's take a listen to this, guys, about this shipwreck in Lake Superior. 1940s, this went down. Okay, I'm coming up on something. The bulk carrier Arlington was found in about 650 feet of water off Michigan's Keweenaw Peninsula. I'm at the smokestack. 
the bottom of it that was bent over. Now I'm going over the top of it. The Arlington left Port Arthur, Ontario in 1940, fully loaded with wheat and headed to Owen Sound, Ontario, under the command of Captain Frederick Tatey Bug Burke. It began to take on water. All crew made it safely off the ship, except for Burke, who went down with the Arlington. Shipwreck researcher Dan Fountain found the Arlington. He says it's exciting to solve just one more of Lake Superior's many mysteries, adding he hopes this final chapter in her story can provide some measure of closure to the family of Captain Burke. I'm Ed Donahue. Bug Burke. Wow, that's a nickname for you. Mark, I knew when I saw this, this is a Mark one. This is that kind of thing you go away and, geez, I didn't look this thing up. I haven't heard of this. Because we think, as you pointed out, the Edmund Fitzgerald, which overshadows so many of these shipwrecks, and, and it was Gordon Lightfoot wanting to shed light on so many of these tragedies on the lakes. Absolutely. The Great Lakes are a surprisingly harsh sailing environment, sometimes even worse than the open ocean from what I understand, particularly Lake Superior, Lake Michigan and Huron, where you get these just wicked winter storms, these high waves that can crack a ship in two, depending on how they hit and where how the ship yeah. is oriented. The bottom is littered with shipwrecks of, uh, you know, crews that tried to tough it out or just got caught in a squall or a storm that just whipped up um you know it it takes a lot of bravery to put yourself on you know the rolling waves for weeks at a time you know hope you know you'll probably get to where you're going but yes that one time out of a thousand or ten thousand where you get caught just the wrong way and then then you become a song and not a nice one Definitely, Aww. and vicious storms that come out of nowhere, Grant. I remember hearing this in school and getting the descriptions of the Great Lakes and just like, remember it this way, this one's the deepest, this is the largest, this is the longest and flat, you know, the shallowest. Um, really fascinating. Do you like this stuff too, Grant, when you hear these oh stories? Oh my gosh, yeah. It's so amazing to think about what substantial journeys these were for people, not just yes. hopping on a ferry, whatever, but this is a potentially life-altering moment. Wow. Yeah. Lots yeah. of and I get in that one. Well, I get a kick, too, out of we just don't realize how huge these things are, how much shipping, how they are just so uh, utilized, and even back when, when so much commerce had to move on them. Uh, Mark, as mm -hmm. usual, pal, thank you. Appreciate you being with us for the roundtable. Always a pleasure. Thanks for having me on. Mark Phoenix joining us from Newfoundland. Uh, we do this roundtable every week here on the program uh, on Thursdays. All right. Thanks, Kelly. Great stuff. And coming up next, we're going to wrap up our show. Plus, we're going to tell you a little bit about what's coming up on the next edition of Now with Dave Brown. That's next. We'll be back with more of Kelly and Ramya after this short break. As we wrap up the show here, I just wanted to remind you, I know I've given a shout out to the Kelly and Ramya podcast a few times, but please do check it out. Subscribe. You can listen to the full show at your leisure. And, you know, we publish about uh, six segments daily, and there is going to be a personal favorite in there for you for sure. Favorite contributor or topic. Lots of great content on the podcast. Also available as a podcast and airing live at uh, 9 a.m. Eastern weekdays is now with Dave Brown. I'm joining Kelly McDonald. And Kelly, what's coming up on Now Tomorrow Morning? Well, the Friday news panel gets together. You got Joy DeGuta from, uh, of course, the, the host of uh, what we hear every weekend, The Pulse. Uh, journalist Michelle McQuig will join Alex. They'll be discussing stories of the week. 
the ones that particularly caught their attention, including uh, well, several they get into, but a recent announcement by the federal government saying they will not be investing in any more large roads in the near future. The panel will discuss some obvious questions. Can Canada grow without any new roads? Is this a step too extreme to take at this time? Or could this be something that fuels more investment in public transit? I'm going to say no in the way Canada is, but huh. definitely that would be a smart thing. Brock Richardson, he's yeah. on the show. He'll be joining them to do sports in the morning, Back, uh, and he'll be on our show later. We'll get to that in a bit, talking sports. And, of course, on their program, Greg David from the marketing department of AMI will be giving his take on the recent cuts by Bell Media and the consequences for the communities that lose local news programming, and that includes those that are getting it cut way back. No weekend programming. Sure, Greg will get into that with them. That's now with Dave Brown. But Alex Smythe hosting this week on the program as Dave is away. And it starts at 9 a.m. in the morning on AMI-tv. All right, great. Sounds like it's a really important show with lots of, uh, lots of important content. Uh, oh, yeah. Before we wrap up here, our closing moment. So the headline is, in a first, a prosthetic limb can actually sense temperature like a living hand. So it's an advance that will uh, may help users feel a greater sense of human connection through touch. Uh, and uh, so amputees' hopes to experience the feeling of human touch using their prosthetics are becoming closer to reality. Uh, new technologies al allowing them to feel temperature even in limbs that are no longer part of their bodies. Uh, it's a functional artificial limb. It's been fitted with fingertip sensors that allow ordinary off-the-shelf shelf prosthetic hands to respond to temperature uh, just as a living hand does, provides a realistic sense of hot and cold in the missing phantom hand by delivering thermal information to nerve areas on the amputee's residual limb to the brain, uh, uh, which the brain believes it's connected to the missing hand. It's called a mini-touch, uh, very affordable, apparently can be fitted in no more than a couple of hours, and it's going to be great in a couple of ways. One, in the kitchen, right? Sensing yes. temperatures. That's going to be awesome. Also, just moving beyond the idea that your prosthetic is sort of like a disability device, quote-unquote, and more just provide that human connection. Kelly, I think that's really cool, man, all the cool stuff that we're getting technologically. I, I understand it doesn't replace the limb. I get that. We, we're long since past understanding that, of course. But does it become more of an extension of your body as opposed to, as you pointed out, just uh, an assistive device? And I'm not sure others would describe it that way, so I don't mean to speak for others who um, have, have artificial limbs in any capacity. I, I Unfortunately, I wouldn't know, but I, I would imagine, and some might say, well, so you get to touch a bit of heat, but we talked earlier with Mary how important it is to use our senses. We need them um, for us as blind people, so I, I can't imagine not being excited to hear this, especially mm. if you are a person who can qualify for this, who needs it, and affordable, as usual, Grant, always our magic yeah, word. exactly. Just those things like, oh, I always touch my cheek, and I'm like, oh, it's hot, I'm embarrassed, or vice versa. It's going to be great yeah. to expand the reach of that. Uh, we are wrapping up here. It's been a heck of a lot of fun, as I always say, hosting with you, Kelly. Uh, tomorrow, Brock Richardson and you are going to be there. Let's chat about the show tomorrow. Apple made an AI image tool that lets you make edits by describing them. John Beeler is going to be on to tell us all about that on our app update. Wow. 
the son of a friend, ladies and gentlemen, uh, well, that we know anyway, who's been on this program. Well, his son's going to be part of the new play-by-play -play crew of the Toronto Blue Jays radio broadcast. And, of course, as I mentioned, a very unique connection. Check us out when Brock co-hosts with me tomorrow. Have a fun show. I'll be listening on the podcast. We're waving at you. Bye. Hello, it's Megan here. So seeing as I am going away on vacation this weekend, I thought it'd be a good time just to remind everyone of those go-to tips when vacationing abroad, especially to hotter locations. So here's what I found online and from previous vacationers. Number one, pack appropriately. This is one that I definitely struggle with. So what I've been told is you just need one swimsuit and one formal wear. You don't need those five swimsuits. So better readjust my case tonight. Seeing as you will be swimming in the water every day, your hair most likely will be getting wet. So there's no need for those straighteners, curlers and all those other appliances you've packed. Bring a carry on with your necessities just in case your case gets lost or delayed. So it's definitely a good one. Top of the list is probably wear sunscreen. Sunscreen can really ruin your vacation. I've definitely experienced this before seeing as I have that white pale Irish skin. The sun's peak is between 11am and 4pm so try to stay in the shade or somewhat indoor activities during this period. Also every time you swim make sure you top up and don't overlook the top of your ears and feet as well. Also I've heard that food can be hit or miss but just enjoy the fresh fruit like coconut, pineapple, take advantage of the region's locally grown food. So looking forward to that. Um, if you are going to a resort, it's easier if you bring small bills for when you are tipping. So you're not trying to find change when you're there. Um, they greatly appreciate the tips and you can tip in their local currency, but also American dollars in Mexico and Canadian dollars in the Dominican Republic. Last on my list is Bring a large water bottle, so make sure you stay hydrated throughout the day. That's very important. So if there is anything I'm forgetting from this list that is important, please let us know. It'd be greatly appreciated. So that's all from me. Thanks for listening and chat to you all soon. Bye. Hi, I'm Ramia Amuthan. Join me weekly for AMI Audiobook Review, the podcast that explores new titles, introduces us to famous narrators, and updates what's hot at the Center for Equitable Library Access. Download episodes of AMI Audiobook Review from your favorite podcast provider.